Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, today I want to talk about uh, some changes that I've observed in worship services in churches over the uh, past, really now, almost 40 years. And I want to talk about one particular issue that I think uh, needs some adjustment in terms of current practice uh, that will bring us back to, I think, a healthier place of uh, inviting people to respond in a worship service. Now, just a bit of background. When I first started out in pastoral ministry, uh, it was very common in Baptist churches particularly for there to be a come-forward invitation at the conclusion of every worship service. Now, this is a relatively new uh, development in church history, I think, and really was popularized most uh, notably by Billy Graham, in which he stood at the front of a crusade stadium and asked people to stand up and come forward. And in that uh, group then that would assemble, he would talk with them about receiving Jesus Christ and lead them to pray to do that. Well, uh, over the years, uh, that practice, uh, although it was very common in churches when I started out in pastoral ministry, has become, frankly, less and less common. In fact, when I preach in a church that started in, say, the last 15 or 20 years, it's, it's rare that I actually ever experience a, a church that has this kind of an invitation or this kind of a public response form or forum. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, that this morning, not in, the, uh, not in an effort to reclaim that particular practice. But I want to talk about the importance of leading people to and asking people for response in a worship service. A few uh, weeks ago, I, was, uh, it, I attended a church service in which the pastor preached a, a magnificent gospel message. Uh, he explained the gospel in clear terms and using contemporary language that every one of his hearers could understand. And in the context of preaching the message, he talked about a young girl in their church who uh, recently in a park had uh, shared the gospel with someone and had asked that person if they would like to become a Christian. And the pastor used this illustration to, uh, to uh, uh, affirm the young girl and to say to the church how important it was to be bold in our witness for and in our inviting people to follow Christ. But in the context of preaching his message and using this very good illustration, uh, I was expecting when he got to the end that he would ask people present if they wanted to make a response, but he didn't. He simply ended the message, said a prayer, and moved on to the conclusion of the worship service. I was really surprised by that because it was a very clear opportunity uh, to do what he had praised the young girl for doing in the park in the setting of a worship service, which seemed to, be an even, seemed to me to be an even more appropriate setting to make this kind of an invitation or appeal. So I want to answer uh, three questions today on the podcast about why uh, the opportunity for a public response seems to have moved out of our normal worship practices and try to appeal to you, especially those of you that lead and plan worship services, uh, to bring it back into the centerpiece that I believe it's supposed to have in a public service. So the first question is, why are leaders so reluctant to give a public invitation to receive Jesus Christ? Well, uh, first of all, there are some theological reasons. Some younger leaders today, in fact, some older leaders as well, uh, believe uh, that it's theologically inappropriate 
to encourage people or to ask people or to uh, bring the issue of a person's spiritual conversion uh, to a head, so to speak, without God doing that alone and without any means or without any assistance. Uh, For example, I recently read a biography of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famed British expository preacher of the middle 20th century. And he very clearly uh, was opposed to any means, as he called them, for people to be brought to a faith decision for Jesus Christ. While he preached the gospel and declared it very openly and clearly, he felt that was the, the sum total of his responsibility and did not give public invitations in the sense of putting people into a moment where he asked them to decide to follow Jesus Christ. He certainly encouraged people to make those decisions, and he certainly showed people the importance of them by declaring the gospel, but he he really avoided means uh, in his ministry. It was such a clear conviction of his that when Billy Graham came to London for his famed crusade, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones met with him privately, actually attended his crusade uh, once incognito, uh, but then told Graham, "I I cannot endorse your methods. I will not speak against you because I believe you're declaring a true gospel, but neither will I speak for you nor lend my influence to your efforts. And so he never did. He never made any public statement about Billy Graham to the positive or the negative, but by his absence from any support of any, uh, or any public support, it was very clear what his position was. He avoided all means of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So some people have a theological persuasion that causes them to be reluctant to actually ask people to receive Jesus, believing that it's the entire work of the Spirit to prompt people to do this. Well, I understand that position. I don't agree with it. I think it's impossible, really, to look through Scripture and not see the example of Jesus and phrases like, Paul writing, we persuade men uh, and not understand that we have a responsibility to not only declare the gospel, but to invite people to respond to it and bring them face to face with their responsibility to uh, repent of their sin, place faith in Jesus, and receive the gospel. So while there are theological reasons, I think those need to be thought through carefully before those are adopted as the foundation for not offering an opportunity for response in a worship service. But there are also some practical reasons. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to embarrass anyone. You don't have to be put on the spot or embarrassed in order to become a Christian, and so I don't want to give people an open invitation to receive Jesus because I don't want to put them on the spot or embarrass them. Well, I certainly don't want to either. In fact, I don't think there should ever be anything done in any worship service that embarrasses anyone, believer, unbeliever, leader, follower, it doesn't matter. We don't gather in public, service, uh, in public worship services to embarrass each other. So while I agree with that sentiment, I don't think that all, in every case asking people to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ uh, is embarrassing to them. It's all in how it's done. Uh, Another thing that people say is, well, I I don't want to appeal to people's emotions. Well, again, I agree with that to an extent. I also don't want to appeal to people's emotions, meaning that I only want an emotional decision. But I think it's important to remember that people are emotional and that when they hear truth declared to them, they they will have a a visceral response. They will have an emotional, a feeling-oriented response. 
Now, for, for people today, many ministry leaders today who've, who've been through seminaries like mine and who've uh, really focused on the intellectual aspects of the Christian faith and uh, really uh, studied the, 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 the Christian faith almost in, a, in an objective sense and, and developed some understandings of it that are, that are less emotional because they're more academic, uh, that's a good thing, by the way. But, but in doing that, I think it's dangerous to transport that into a worship service on a Sunday and say that's how everyone should approach the gospel or everyone should approach their relationship with God. That's simply just not true. Uh, it is appropriate to allow people to experience the emotional response they feel when they come into worship and to experience that same emotional response to the gospel as they hear it declared. And so while I also want to avoid emotional outbursts or appealing to people's emotions or having people make only emotional decisions, I don't want to deny the emotional realities of people responding to the gospel. Another reason why people are reluctant to give public invitations is they don't know how to do it well. Uh, they have a caricature in their mind of some um, you know, preacher with mismatched clothes and bad hair yelling from the pulpit and, and, and singing 40 verses of just as I am, pleading and begging people to come forward, uh, putting emotional pressure on them, guilt-tripping them, uh, trying to manipulate them. Uh, and so that's sort of the view that, that some leaders have of what it means to give a, an invitation. But really, uh, that's not how you do it, and you can learn to do it well. The sad reality is a lot of younger leaders today have never had this modeled for them. Uh, it's possible that you may have been in church uh, in your teenage and young adult years, and, and in the last 10 years particularly, and never seen a skilled pastor or a skilled speaker offer a public opportunity for people to respond that's healthy, that's theologically sound, that's emotionally responsible, and helps people to come to a moment of crystallizing their commitment to Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching this Sunday. And I'll be preaching a gospel-oriented message. And at the end of that message, I will ask people to make a response in that moment, in that worship service, to what they've just heard preached. And I will do it, hopefully, in a way uh, that facilitates their response and gives them an opportunity to respond without being embarrassed and without, with an, a proper appeal to emotion, but without it being an emotional decision. And I'll do that in a way that I hope would model for others how to do this thing well. And then another reason, and, and this just strikes at our ego, and that is, we don't want to invite people to commit themselves to Jesus because if no one does, it, we think it makes us look bad or we somehow feel bad. Man, that's got to be uh, put aside by every ministry leader. We can't base whether or not we feel like we've done a good job or whether we've preached well or, or whether we've fulfilled our responsibilities by how people respond. I mean, that's not an indicator at all of your faithfulness to the Word of God or your clarity in communicating it. Uh, so move past that. If you give an, a public invitation and, and there's no one who responds to receive Jesus, that doesn't say that you're a bad preacher or that you've done anything wrong. Um, in fact, if you're feeling bad about the fact that there's no response, uh, that tells me there's something wrong with your either your theology or with your motivation because you think somehow the, the response is your responsibility. Uh, it's not. The response is your opportunity, and it, and it is your responsibility in a sense of bringing people to the moment when they can make a choice or a decision. But the work that's done in their heart and the willingness they have to respond is God's work, and we have to recognize that. So why are people reluctant to give 
public response opportunities in worship services. Well, there are some theological reasons, and I think we need to be really careful that our theology uh, doesn't go to an extreme that uh, prohibits us from having the opportunity or from taking the opportunity to ask people to respond to the gospel. And it is true, we don't want to embarrass anyone or appeal to emotions, and we don't want to do it badly like we've seen perhaps done in the past or like we've caricatured it being done in the past. And we don't want to risk looking bad. I understand that motivation, but at the same time, we have to move beyond that. So why are we reluctant? Well, for all of these reasons. But I think we can move beyond that if we can understand some more positive reasons about why we should give an invitation. So let's talk about that question. Why should we give an invitation to receive the gospel as part of public worship services? Well, the first reason is this. People are open to the gospel if they come to church. It amazes me how pastors overlook this great reality. If a person gets up on a Sunday morning, takes a shower, puts on their cleanest shirt or dress, comes to your worship service, comes in, sits down, and participates for an hour to an hour and a half, all voluntary. It, it baffles me that pastors don't understand that, the, that this person is very open to the gospel. They're very open. You say, well, they don't seem that open. Well, they're a lot more open than the hundreds, if not thousands of people in your community who did not darken the door of a church and had no interest in hearing the gospel declared on that particular Sunday. So recognize this. People who come to church, who make the effort, who choose to do so intentionally, who voluntarily give you their time, who come to a worship service, those people are incredibly open to the gospel. They're more open to the gospel than people that you meet on the street. They're more open to the gospel than people you cold turkey approach in the mall. They're more open to the gospel than people who get a flyer from your church put on their door. The people who come to your worship service are open to the gospel. And so because they're open, make the assumption that they want to respond to the gospel, and given the right opportunity and the right moment, they will respond to the gospel. So a second reason to give an invitation is people trust you if they come to hear you speak. If you are a person who's preaching the word of God and people are coming to hear you speak, they're coming because they trust you. They're coming because they believe that what you're going to say really is a true word from God. Now, they may make that decision uh, because of personal knowledge of you. They may make the decision because of some denominational loyalty. They may make a decision because of the reputation of your church or because of the, uh, the testimony or the encouragement of a friend. It doesn't really matter. A person who voluntarily comes to hear you speak is saying, I trust you. I believe what you're going to say has validity and needs to be heard, and I want to hear you carefully and make an evaluation of how I go forward based on what you're saying to me. I especially want to encourage those of you who are younger preachers or younger pastors to accept this reality. People who come to hear you speak trust you, and they want to hear what you have to say, and they trust you enough that if you ask them to make a response, they're going to consider it carefully. Uh, people want to make spiritual decisions in the context or in an atmosphere of trust, and you have to recognize they're demonstrating that trust when they come to hear you speak. Well, a third reason to give a public, an opportunity for public response is that people want to respond in a safe environment. You know, uh, people want to respond to the gospel in a place where they feel they won't be judged or they won't be criticized or they won't, won't be ridiculed. And you have to remember, even especially as you've been a Christian for a long time, that people who are not yet Christians are living in uh, families and in workplaces and in communities 
where they're hearing a lot of negative about God, about the gospel, about the Bible, about Jesus, and they're weighing that. And they know that if they take a stand for Jesus Christ, if they really commit themselves to him, that they're going to face a lot of resistance in a lot of places where they live, work, and play. But when they come into a worship service, they're coming into a safe environment. If there's any place in the world where it ought to be safe to say, I choose to follow Jesus without fear of any repercussions, without fear of any negative response, with instead uh, an, uh, an affirmation of celebrative applause, an affirmation of spoken amens, and uh, however your church does it, uh, an affirmation that says, we accept you, we encourage you, we validate you, we stand with you, you've made the right decision, and we want you to know we're all in this together. Where is a person going to be able to do that more safely than in a worship service? And so this is another reason why I think it's important to invite people to respond, because in that context, they're safe, they feel safe, and they know they'll be making their decision in a context of safety. Well, another reason to give an invitation is really more a theological one, and that is I believe that worship always prompts response. Now, a lot of people make the mis- have the mistaken uh, notion that worship is all about singing. Now, worship is about singing, and singing is an important part of worship, and corporate singing is an important part of expressing ourselves to God. So please don't hear me uh, minimizing that aspect of worship. But worship is more than singing. I sometimes hear people say, before we start the worship service, let's pray. It's like, no. We started the worship service when we walked in the room and offered ourselves by our presence to God. We started the worship service at least when you invoked God's name in prayer, not when we finished the prayer and started singing. So the worship service begins with people gathering and bringing themselves into God's presence. And then it includes singing, it includes praying, it includes scripture reading, it includes testimony, it includes preaching. But what's all this supposed to do? It's all supposed to bring us to a point where we give a response to God, where we say back to God, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to believe. This is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to be different. This is what I offer to you as my gift, uh, be it tangible or be it my life or some act of service. Worship is supposed to evoke response. We don't come to worship to watch other people worship. We don't come to worship to be third-party participants where we watch other people respond. We come to worship to respond. When I was planning worship services as a pastor, I always used an inverted triangle model. I recognized that at the top of the triangle was the broad base, and when people walked into the room, they were scattered, and they were broad in their expectations and understanding. But my responsibility as a worship leader was to bring them to a pinnacle point at the bottom of the triangle where they were ready to respond to God. Now, not every response was a response of salvation to the gospel because most worshipers have already made that response. But the response that I was asking them to make was a response based on the content of the worship service itself. The music, the praying, the testimonies, and specifically the message brought us to a point of response. So, for example, in this message that I'll be preaching this Sunday, 
I'll offer two opportunities for response. I'll offer the first opportunity to respond to the gospel, to receive Jesus Christ and begin a life of discipleship and devotion to him. And then after that, I'll say, now let me speak to all of you who are already believers. You've heard a message today that has this particular subject or theme. And I'm asking you today to respond on this issue. And so whether I'm preaching on stewardship or whether I'm preaching on giving forgiveness or whether I'm preaching on being a more bold witness or whether I'm preaching on prayer, it doesn't matter. What I've preached on that day, I'm going to ask people to respond on that issue. And so worship, the entire experience, is designed to bring us to a point of specific and concrete response. That's why the more you can integrate the themes of the music, the themes of the prayers, the themes of the testimonies, and the themes of the message into one unified message, the stronger your worship experience will be and the more direct it will be in asking people for response. And then finally, why give an invitation? Because you're following the model of Jesus. Jesus asked people to follow him publicly. He said, come follow me. And he said that repeatedly in all kinds of settings and contexts. And so when you ask people to follow Jesus, you're simply imitating what Jesus did himself. So we give an invitation because people who come to our worship services are open to the gospel. They trust you as a gospel messenger. They want to respond in a safe environment. Worship is designed to evoke response, and so we should ask for a response and lead people to make one, and we're following the example of Jesus who said, come follow me in all kinds of contexts, and people did. Now the third question, uh, why reluctant to give an invitation? Why give an invitation? And now this third question, what are some types of invitations or types of ways that people can respond in worship services? Well, of course, there is that one I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. You can ask people to stand up, walk forward, and talk with someone in the worship service. And that still has validity today. Now, I certainly don't believe it's the only way to ask people to respond. And I also don't believe it's the best response in every kind of worship service or every kind of setting. But it's still a valid form of response. Just a few weeks ago, uh, at the Harvest Crusade here in Southern California, uh, Pastor Greg Laurie preached to about 40,000 people on the night I was present, and he at the end said, stand up, walk forward, come onto the outfield grass, and we'll talk with you about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And hundreds, if not thousands of people streamed forward to do that. So a come forward invitation is still appropriate. Well, there are other methods, though, that I think we ought to also investigate. A second method is what I call a group prayer. Now, my pastor does this every Sunday. He writes a prayer that expresses the themes of his message back to God, and he puts it in the first person for all of us to pray. And so if he's preached on prayer or giving or granting forgiveness or being more bold as a witness, whatever he's preached about, he writes a prayer, and it's a significant, meaty prayer. And at the conclusion of his message, he said, now... If this message resonates with you, or if this message connects with you, or he says it different ways, different Sundays, but basically he's asking, do you understand and agree with what I've been preaching? If so, will you stand together and pray this prayer of commitment with me? And the entire church stands, and the prayer comes up on the screens, and the prayer is also in our printed materials, and we read or say this corporate prayer out loud together as a response to God. Another way uh, to make a response is using a commitment card where you simply say to people, now if you'll take out the response card or the commitment card or the action card, people use different names, you'll find some boxes you can check and a, pair, and a place where you can write in a sentence or two response to this message. Now when I was a pastor, I used these extensively. But here's a key thing. 
If you're going to use a response card, you need to plan at least two minutes, and that's a lot longer than you think it is. Two full minutes at the end of your worship service where there may be soft music playing, but there's no other sound, no other talking, no other distraction, so people have the opportunity to write their response. Now, I use that kind of response regularly when I was a pastor, and I would get about 15% of the people there on a Sunday to write me a personalized response, and I would follow up with those on the following few days with either phone calls or other contacts to make sure that I helped them to finalize the response they'd indicated in writing. 15%'s a lot of response, but if you give people time and you train the congregation that this time is going to be available to you every Sunday to sit quietly and contemplate the message and write your response, you'll get more response than you might imagine. Another way to invite people to make a public response is to ask people to make a physical gesture. So, for example, you can say, if you agree with this and you'd like to make a commitment to it, or if you'd like to indicate that you're open to receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand or or would you please stand up? Or would you look, if you have everyone's head bowed, would you look up and make eye contact with me? These are physical ways that you can invite people to respond or to make a response in the worship service that indicates that they're doing something in response to the message. Another way to invite people to respond is to invite people to simply pray where they're seated or pray where they're standing, and to do that silently or quietly and to voice their own individualized prayer, or perhaps to pray after you as you guide them through a sentence-by-sentence prayer of response. And then another way uh, to respond is to invite people to go to an inquiry room or a dialogue room or a response room. I'm familiar with one church that has uh, double doors just to the left of their stage area, and they open those doors. They're well lit. The room beyond it is well lit. Uh, They have a person standing outside who's pleasantly smiling and dressed appropriately, and they say, "If you," the pastor says, if you'd like to have more dialogue about this message or something's been said here that causes you to want someone to pray with you or talk with you, would you just come as we're concluding this service? Instead of walking out the doors, would you walk over and come into our discussion room or our dialogue room, and we'll help you there. And every Sunday, you'll see people slipping over there as others are leaving the worship worship area. Well, these are some ways to offer opportunities for response. Certainly, the come forward invitation still has validity, but there's also group prayer, commitment cards, physical response like raising your hand, standing, making eye contact. There's leading people to pray where they're seated or standing silently or quietly. There's asking them to do that spontaneously. And then, of course, there's this inquiry room or dialogue room or discussion room. Um, Part of that also can be inviting people to simply come for prayer. Uh, I'm, uh, and I would add that as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a sort of a subset of the dialogue or discussion room. There's one church in our area that ends every worship service by having their prayer partner stand at the front, and they'll have about 30 or 40 of them because it's a larger church. And the pastor will say, if you'd like anyone to pray with you, please come forward now. And as we're having these last few moments of quiet, here, quiet music here in the worship center, these people will pray with you. And every week, I've been there, dozens stream forward to pray. So these are all kinds of different ways. And they say, well, which one should I use? Well, listen to this. Listen to this. Choose the one that's most appropriate for the message or the worship service that you've just led. If you've led a strongly evangelistic worship service and you've worked hard to have many lost people present and you want them to come forward and make a public response, well, then do that. 
But if you have a Sunday morning worship service where you've just preached on calling people to a greater commitment to prayer, then a public altar call may not be the, a public uh, kind of altar call response may not be the best. A, a written response may be better, or asking people to voice a group prayer may be better. So don't get in a rut of thinking, I have to do this the same way every time. But do make an intentional plan of how you're going to ask for a response and then plan your worship service accordingly. And what I mean is plan time for response. Because what I often see is there's singing, there's praying, there's preaching, and then there's a rush at the end to get everybody out the door by a certain time. Well, I used to be a pastor in a church that had multiple services, and so we had to get people out the door by a certain time. But what that meant was if we were going to have a meaningful response, say five to seven minutes of meaningful response, I had to make sure that we backed everything else up to fit into the other time frames that were available so the response time wasn't cramped or crowded. So here's what I'm advocating. Worship services, preaching of the gospel, evoke response. Plan for it. Plan for there to be meaningful time in every worship service for people to respond and develop the skills to guide them to those responses and to help them to do it in a biblically appropriate way. Well, this is a part of worship leadership, and that's a part of spiritual leadership, and I know you can do it, so lead on.